Uh, good morning. Let's get into it. So like Reagan said, the next six weeks we're going to talk about moving into a deeper relationship with Jesus. Um, on that note, I posted this on Facebook, but I want to reiterate it here in person. You know, it's interesting in my work with Lover's Lane, uh, and as a pastor specifically here in Thrive, I've had a number of conversations with people who will say, um, you know, Scott, I'm on board with uh, the morality of Jesus, with the teachings of Jesus. He sounds like a nice guy, you know. Uh, I, I'm on board with the benefits of life in the church. I, you know, I like the idea of raising my kids to be good people. I like the idea of helping my community. Uh, but then I, I, I come to Lover's Lane, and, and I love this church, but I notice that your mission statement is loving all people into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and that word relationship, that's, that's what I don't really get. Um, you know, I, I, I understand it, like in theory, I understand what it means to, to live as Jesus would have lived, but I don't think I understand what it means to be in relationship with God. That's the word that kind of is a sticky wicket for some people. If that's ever been a word that's been kind of tough to wrap your head around, will you say amen? Good, good, me too. Um, so let's talk about that for six weeks, um, because I think it's really easy to understand God here, and to even sometimes feel, a God, feel about God here, but I think it's different for us uh, to have a relationship with God that, that gets to the heart of who we are and what we're about in this world. So we're going to talk about that these next six weeks. Uh, to begin today, we're going to read from the first letter of John, found at the, near the very end of your Bibles almost. Um, John, it's first John, the first letter that John wrote, chapter 5, in the very end, picking up in verse 20. This is, the, this is the end of the letter. This is how he chooses to sign it off. I love these letters because um, sort of at the core of these letters is, is talking about what it means to be in relationship with this Savior that this church is built upon, right? And so this is how John chooses to end his first letter. He says, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. See, this is this deep relationship he's talking about. In his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Now, see, that's like a great way to end it, yeah? And then he goes on in verse 21, and he ends it with this line. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Hmm. That's an odd way to end a letter. Most letters don't end like that. Most letters, they've, they've given all their sort of, you know, admonitions. They, at, the, at the end, they're just sort of lifting them up. They're building them up. Um, they're, they're, you know, reconfessing their faith in Jesus. But here, this letter ends with one more charge. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. So he reminds us that we have this deep, deep, intimate relationship with Jesus that we should, that that's what we should be striving for and yet, he ends it by saying, keep yourselves from idols. So I, I started to chew on that as we were approaching this, this sermon series. Um, today, we're going to talk about, in a big, broad brush stroke, what does it mean for us to really move into the kingdom of God? What does it mean for us to live in God's world as opposed to our own? You're probably wondering why in the world I've got a big cardboard box up here on stage. So let's talk about it for a second. I don't know if you can tell, I decorated it really nice for you this morning. This is my daughter's cardboard box. Um, if those of you with kids, your kids have their cardboard box, or did you have your cardboard box when you were a kid? Yeah? Well, this is Andy's, and she has decorated it, and her mom has helped all the way around, yeah, and it's got... Cart, you just got the crayons on the inside, and there's some other stuff we'll talk about here in a second. 
Um, but this is where she gets to play with her crayons. We try to keep the mess contained inside there. Fingers crossed, so far my walls are still a nice neutral gray. Um, this is where she spends a lot of her time. She loves her cardboard box because in here, she is the queen of her world, yeah? No one else gets in. Daddy doesn't get into the cardboard box. Mommy doesn't get in the cardboard box. Andy gets in the cardboard box, and she can take her favorite things in there. And when you were a kid, you probably had a cardboard box. Maybe yours wasn't, you know, an art gallery. Maybe yours was a spaceship, or, a, a, or maybe it was a pirate boat, or, or maybe it was a car, or maybe it was a house, a fort. I don't know what it was. But I'm willing to bet that you, like my daughter, kept some of your favorite things in your cardboard box. Because in your cardboard box, you were in charge. So I, I thought about this image, and I think about the fact that as, I, as we get older, obviously we don't play in cardboard boxes as much. But we still like to try to create little worlds where we are in charge, yeah? Let's call that the kingdom of me, <laughs> Right? You've got a kingdom of me as well, it's just the me is you. Right? So we all have these little worlds that we like to create where we get to decide what goes in and what goes out. We get to decide who comes in and who goes out. We get to decide what happens in the kingdom of me. And the kingdom of me can feel like a very comfortable place. My daughter loves playing in her cardboard box. Um, but there's a big, big world out there. She can't spend her whole life in here. That would be called neglect. Right? Can't do that. She can't spend her whole life in this cardboard box. At some point, she's got to leave the box. And just like Andy does, we've got to leave the kingdom of me at some point. That's the first shift we're going to talk about today. We're going to spend all day talking about how do we shift from the kingdom of me to the kingdom of God. And I think what keeps us from leaving the kingdom of me, it's why I read that, that verse from the first John, what keeps us from leaving is these little idols that we have in our lives. Idolatry comes up constantly in the Bible. Um, the Israelites, they deal with idolatry when they're leaving Egypt. That's the first really big time we struggle with idolatry. They, they cast a golden calf and they begin to worship it and, and bad things happen as a result. It goes back further, than, and then after, after the, uh, the Israelites struggle with that, Moses even gets a commandment from God saying, you know, don't Make any images of me, right? That's where we get this commandment of don't make idols of God. And the, the primary reason is as soon as you begin to define what God looks like or to define who God is in a physical sense, then you've immediately lost the spirit of what it means for God to be God. Now, I think we do more than just cast golden calves, though. I think that we have other types of idols that go a lot deeper in our lives, and I think they're idols that are at work in the kingdom of me, and we got to let them go. So let's talk about three of them this morning. The first one I want to talk about, let me see, i got to find it in here. Ah, this is my daughter's idol. We'll talk about ours in a second. This is the idol of predictability, yeah? So if you know anything about kids and reading books, they like to read the same books over and over and over again, Yeah? They like, to read the, they like to watch the same movie over and over and over again and over and over and over and over and over again, yeah? I have watched Lilo and Stitch and Moana 85,000 times. I can quote them to you in totality this morning. I won't. My daughter just got this book from the Plano Library, um, How Do Dinosaurs Say Goodnight? My daughter is obsessed with dinosaurs. She'll walk around the house, rah, rah. 
She loves this book. This is her nighttime go-to book now. There's a page in here where it says, dinosaurs give kisses, and she kisses the dinosaur page, and it's the cutest thing you've ever seen. Your child's not as cute as my child. It's adorable. (laughs) It's the best thing ever. But the reason she loves this is she knows what page we're on and what page is coming next. Like when when she knows there's a page that talks about stomping, she'll already be stomping her little feet because she knows it's coming. When there's a page about hugging, she's already getting ready to go in for the hug because she knows it's coming. It's predictable. That's why little kids love to read the same book and watch the same movie. In fact, if you go and look at the science, it's important that they do this because what they're doing is they're learning that the story never changes, right? If you read the same book again and again and again, the dinosaurs do the same thing every time. It's the way that stories work. The movie is not going to change. Even though the characters move around, they don't make different decisions on the second watching. That would be trippy, right? Oh my gosh, that'd be crazy. But they don't. It's completely predictable, and so it's important for kids to learn that there are things in life that are predictable. There are things in life that don't change, and stories don't change. Once they're printed, once they're on the screen, that's it. That's how they go. We do the same thing. We don't, I don't know, did anybody else like, is this your bedtime book? Anybody? Yeah? (laughs) We've got these things, though. Yeah? We've got these things. This is not mine. (laughs) This is uh, a planner that belongs to one of our staff members. Um, I don't know if you can tell, it's about two inches thick. Have you guys seen these fancy hoity-toity planners? It's called Simplified Planner. (laughs) Only two inches thick now, yeah. This is for August 2017 to August 2017. Holy cow, that's incredible. No. how many of you have a planner just like this one at home? This, these are becoming more and more popular. Uh, you might not have a planner. You might have, I think everybody has one of these, though. Who uses their Google Calendar? I did a little experiment. I decided to scroll, see how far I could go in my Google Calendar. Let's see real quick. Let's do a little quick scrolling. There we go. My fingers are sticky. I don't know what's got on my hand. There we go. Let's see. I'm at 2,100. That's cool. 2,200. 2300. Google says I can make some plans for May 2390. It's awesome. I should put a meeting on there or something. Oh, I've got men's group, actually. I just have it running in perpetuity. I've got men's group on Tuesday, May 1st, 2390. Guys, I'll see you at Village Burger Bar. Okay. Is that not insane, though? That if we wanted to, we literally could plan out the rest of our lives completely. The rest of of our lives. I, there's some of us that if this could truly like go until the end of time, we would feel so good, yeah? Who finds comfort in these things? Anybody find comfort in a planner? Yeah? Say amen. Amen. These things can be comforting. You know, some people, you lose these, you stress out. I lose this. I'm in heaven. I'm in heaven. But there's, there's this idol of predictability, knowing what's coming in the story. We, we would really prefer, some of us, if we're being honest, we would prefer if our story would just repeat again and again and again the rest of our lives. And it doesn't even mean that it's a good story. So that's the really like, hard part of this. Some of us are connected to this predictability of how broken our lives are too, right? The story doesn't always go great. Some of us are connected to this idea that, you know, yeah, I don't love it, but at least I know it. So I'm going to keep doing this the rest of my life again and again and again. So here's the problem with that. So, you know, a couple weeks ago, we were finishing up a series on Psalm 139. And in that message I was talking about, in in Psalm 139, it makes reference to this thing called the book of life. It's this metaphor that the psalmist uses to explain how God knows everything in the world. And it's like God has this planner, right? 
He's got this book, and it's way bigger than this, and he can flip through to any page and go, oh, I know exactly what's going to happen on May 1st, 2039. I know exactly what, or 2390, I know exactly what's going to happen then. Scott's going to go to men's group. That's going to be great, because modern medicine has advanced to the point, I guess. I don't know. Um, but, but so the problem with that is some of us wish we had the book of life, right? We wish we were in control of that. We wish we could write our story and have it just be on repeat again and again and again and again. And that's unfortunately not the way that life in God's kingdom works. If we're going to step out of the kingdom of me and into the kingdom of God, we have got to get comfortable with surprises. So this, this morning, the first question I want to ask you is when is the last time that God has surprised you? When is the last time that God has surprised you, that God has jolted you out of your routine, jolted you out of the predictable? When is the last time that you looked back and you noticed, oh my gosh, like that wasn't the part of the story that I expected and I can see that God put it there. Last week, um, we got to hear Paul Young on this stage. Oh my gosh. I mean, it was incredible. It was an incredible moment for me as a preacher. I was talking earlier before the service, like it's, Unfortunately, it's rare to, to be able to, as a preacher, shut off the preacher brain and just listen, you know, for a change to a message. And, uh, and I was able to last week. And, and what I came out of Paul Young's talk was the, the ability, the uncanny ability he has to see God's movements in his life. And, and, I, and I'm jealous of that. Because I'm a recovering cynic, and I like to explain things away. I kind of like routine. I kind of like the same thing happening day in and day out. And it's hard for me to look back and notice the surprises and go, wow, God was in that, right? And so that was a good word for me to hear last week, that, that if I'm willing to look for it, there are things that God is doing in my life that are outside of the ordinary that I need to be willing to seize, to, to accept, to take hold of. Because if we begin to shut ourselves off to surprises, if we cling to this idol of predictability, we are st keeping ourselves in the kingdom of me, where we define the story, where we write the story. And guess what? The story's not going to change. For better or for worse, it's not going to change. Don't you want to live in a world where God's surprises are real and active and happening constantly? Yeah, it's a little scary, but it's good. It's good. Let's keep moving. The next thing my daughter has in here. Aww. This is actually my teddy bear from when I was a kid. She sleeps with it now. <gasps> How adorable. His name is Teddy. Real creative. Um, every, every kid has their lovey, their security thing. It's a blanket. It's a stuffed animal. It's an action figure. It's something, right? This is one of hers. She's got like three or four. She's a glutton, you know. Um, she's a hoarder already. She's got three stuffed animals. She, she sleeps like this, you know, holding them all, you know, face down. I'm like, that cannot be comfortable. But, um, but this is one of her, her security items. She loves taking this with her. She loves sleeping with, with it. If, if she gets in her crib and her teddy and her pua and her bunny are not there, then she just, she's just going to scream her head off. She can't go to sleep. She doesn't feel ready. She doesn't feel safe. Security is important for kids. It's important for adults too, though. Ours just look different. We don't have teddy bears, but we do have these things. We got wallets and keys, yeah? At some point, we drop the teddy bears, and we begin to pick these things up because they make us feel safe. Some of us feel safe because we look at our bank account. Some of us feel really not safe because we look at our bank account. Um, you ever look at your bank account, and you're like, there was supposed to be another digit. <laughs> That's an unsettling feeling. You're like, I thought there were more digits in there. Um, a lot of us, you know, homes have changed a lot. Reagan and I live in Plano now. Plano, y'all, 
Like Plano is keeping the fence industry alive. Oh my goodness. The privacy, who am I keeping out of my yard? The NBA? Like they're 10 feet tall. It's ridiculous. Who's going to look over? It's not like when I grew up, I watched Home Improvement. They had the neighbors sort of peering over. You'd have to have an A-frame ladder to get up. Hey, how's it going? Like, whoa, what is wrong with us? That, how did we get to this point where we got so scared of even, like, the next-door neighbors, like the people who you're supposed to go and ask for sugar from, but now we've got 10-foot privacy fences. We've got nest cams up everywhere because someone's going to want to come in and steal my ratty old chair. Like, it's, it's, it's crazy to me how unsafe we have been made to feel to where we have to have these things in place. You go to, like, Canada, you just walk in a house. They don't even have deadbolts, I don't think. It's, it's insane. But we've got a culture of fear. We've got a culture of, of, of this fear, and so it creates this scarcity mindset. You know, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. Need I remind you of the great gas crisis of 2017? Right? <laughs> When we get afraid, when we feel like we need security, then it drives us into scarcity mindset, and then we move into protection mode. And as soon as that happens, we stop caring about the people around us. And what we do is we hunker down. We draw the lids over, and we say, this is the kingdom of me. Everybody stay out. Because I'm worried if I open this up that I'll be taken advantage of. Now, let me say very clearly, this is where I want to carve with the scalpel this morning. Uh, Because I, I hear a lot in the church about... You know, God calls us to, to put ourselves out there. God calls us into difficult situations. God calls us into messy situations. That's absolutely true. God does not promise us um, perfect security of ourselves and of our stuff in this world. But there are things that God does promise, and there are ways to be messy that is God-inspired and God-breathed, and there are ways to be messy that is not. And I want to talk about that for a moment. Okay. So we move forward to Philippians. Ah, great verse. Philippians chapter 4 verses 6 and 7 where it says this. This is Ephesians. This is, a, this is Philippians. Good, good, good. Okay, chapter 4, 6, and I was like, this is not the right verse. And then I'm like, do I just make it work? Do I just find a way to make it work? And I was like, I can't. Hey, streamers, how we doing? You with me? Okay, chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Do not worry. <laughs> like that. And uh, do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And here's the important verse here, number 7 especially. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, hear this, will guard your bank account. No. We'll guard your backyard, no. We'll guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So let's get clear about what God promises to keep safe in this world. God promises to keep our hearts and our minds safe. God's not going to call you into a situation that is going to destroy your heart or your mind or your soul in the name of the gospel. That's not who God is. God promises to keep our hearts and our minds and our souls safe partially because those are the things we're supposed to use to worship God. You can't worship God with things that are that crushed and debilitated. God wants those things to be restored and protected and kept safe. And if you have a safe heart and a safe mind and a safe soul, you can step into crazy situations. Paul, the author of Philippians, beaten, bruised, martyred, shipwrecked, imprisoned, beaten again, beaten a third time, beaten a fourth time, you know, starved, 
mean, th- th- this guy went through incredible danger. Almost all the disciples were martyred for their faith. There is nothing about this faith that God says is going to keep you comfortable and safe. But, 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 but hear me, because this can get so damaging, this theology. Because then we go and we make blanket statements like, God doesn't care about your security. No, 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 no. Stop it. Stop, stop, stop. God cares about the security of your heart and your mind and of your soul. And you might be in a situation that you think, well, God's just calling me into a difficult situation. God's calling me into this time of suffering, you know. Listen, I, God can call us into some suffering times. I've been on mission trip. I've swatted too many mosquitoes off my skin. God can call us into suffering times. God called me to be a parent. I love sleep. God can call us into suffering times. God is not going to call us into things that are going to destroy our hearts and our minds and our souls. And so if you're finding yourself in a messy situation in life, here's another way to think about it. Look at my daughter's box, right? It's messy, But you know what else is it? It was brown before, and now look at all the colors. See how much more vibrant it is? This is such a more beautiful box than it used to be. You know, Amazon's branding is okay. It's got a little smirk there so that you can, you know, you conflate, you know, buying stuff with happiness. That's another sermon for another day. Um, But this kind of messy makes life more vibrant. That's the kind of messy that God calls us into. God calls us into messy and difficult things that give color and life to our lives. They make our lives more vibrant. If you're in something that's messy or difficult and you're seeing the saturation dim and you're seeing the color fade and you're seeing the light grow grow dim and, and that's the situation and your heart and your mind and your soul are being broken, I, the most loving thing I can say to you as your pastor is come talk to me. Because I don't believe that God has called you to that. In fact, I think that you've, you've unfortunately caught wind of a theology that when it goes in the wrong direction, it leads to a lot of brokenness and a lot of pain and a lot of hurt in this world. Because there are some situations that God does not take joy in your misery or in your pain. When God calls us to difficult things, it's so our lives become more vibrant and more alive and more colorful. And so we're not so scared all the time. Let's keep moving. Oh, so uh, to put that succinctly, Scripture shows us that God protects our spirit, but everything else is fair game, right? God doesn't promise that you're going to have an enormous retirement fund to go and get and travel around the world. God doesn't promise that you're going to get to have every single luxury that you want in this life. God doesn't expect that your home be kept perfect and clean and safe. You know, our home's a mess constantly, partly because Reagan keeps opening it up to people. Do you think I'd change that, though? You know, Reagan helps pull me out of the kingdom of me and into the kingdom of God in that way. Because she says, hey, let's take down the privacy fence. Let's open the door. Let's, you know, let's, let's welcome people in. And, you know, if their kids make a mess. I mean, we had dinner with a family one time. We had the Andy's picnic table in the, in the house, and they were eating some meal. And rice was a part of it. Why I serve kids rice, I don't know. And, I mean, it's just everywhere. I mean, I'm still finding rice in our house. It's been like two months. It was one of the best dinners ever. I wouldn't change it. Messy and vibrant. That's what we're looking for. Okay. Last one. The idol of control. Mm. What does this look like? For my daughter, it looks like this. It's her favorite word. She's just learned it. She says it all the time. My daughter says no so much. I don't even think she always knows what she's saying when she says no. I think she just knows that it's kind of a fun. Because she'll like walk over to the wall here you go, camera people. This will be fun. She'll just walk over the wall. No! What are you yelling at? 
Kids are not that intelligent, I'm learning. They're just, well, they're not, objectively, they're not smart, is what I'm saying. It's not an offensive statement. Like, she's a toddler. Like, she's not supposed to be a genius yet, right? She yells at a wall for no reason. She says no because for her, that, that's, that's her trying to take control back from Dada, right? Dada wants me to eat this. No! Or she'll just throw food. She's like, I hate this food in particular. I'm going to throw it all over the kitchen. Thank you so much for that. But no is her way of trying to sort of defy and say, no, I'm in charge of myself. You can't make me do what you want me to do. And she's so wrong about that. Now, what does it look like for adults? Looks like this. Doesn't really change, does it? Have you ever been in a situation where God was whispering something in your ear? And I know that's kind of a weird metaphor. Have you ever been in a situation where there was something in your gut that said something about you needed to change, and your response was just this? You just sort of walk over, and you just lay down. Nuh-uh. I'm not going to do it. And God's like, please, please do it. No! If that's you, say amen. Good. Camera people are hating me this morning. When we're called to the Christian faith, uh, it's tough because there's going to be a lot of things that we want to say no to. There's going to be a lot of things that God calls us to that are so outside of our nature, that are so outside of our comfort, that are so outside of who we have turned ourselves into, who who we have built ourselves up to be. And God's going to call us to sacrifice some or a lot of that, and our response is going to be what you just saw. We're going to want to lay down and just say, no, no. I don't want to give that up. When we come to the altar in a moment for communion like we do every month, you know, we come forward ready to confess and ready to lay things down. And I'll be honest, there's a lot of times I come forward to communion and I'm holding my hands tight. No, no, I don't want to give that up. I don't want to change in that way. I know you're telling me to. I know I feel it in my gut, but no. It's just as effective with God as it is with my daughter with me, yeah. I have just as much say as I think my daughter thinks she does. What I hear God saying to me a lot recently, and what I try to say no to, I just I hear God keep saying, do the hard thing. Because I'm someone, I like being comfortable. I love sweatpants. My couch is billowy. I've got a I've got a Tempur-Pedic mattress. Well, it's a knockoff, but still. I mean, I like to be comfortable. And I and I like to I like to do, I like to work smart and not hard. And I like, I'll be honest, I like to cut corners when I can, yeah? I like to take the easy path if I can. That's, that's human nature, Scott. That's, that's sinful, Scott. And so God will be whispering in my ear, do the hard thing. And you know how often the hard thing is the wrong thing? It's weird. It's never, right? Thanks, God. Glad you're always right. That gets annoying, doesn't it? <laughs> but it's true. God whispers in my ear, do the hard thing again and again. It calls me back to the scripture in Matthew Matthew 16, starting in verse 24, because this whole series, we're talking about being in relationship with Jesus. So let's, let's hear what Jesus says about what it's like to be in relationship with him. This is what he says. He told his disciples, if any want to become my followers, meaning if you want to be in relationship with me, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life, you want to hold on to these things that you're comfortable with, will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them 
they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? What will they give in return for their life? They're beautiful words, but guys, those are gut punch words. Those are tough words to hear. Picking up a cross? That's not comfortable. That's going to ask a lot of things of me that I'm not ready to give up. Approaching this communion table? That's not comfortable. There's something about this that requires a sacrifice. And really what this comes down to is adopting a spirit of submission. That's hard for someone like me. Who's stubborn? Any stubborn mules? Who's married to a stubborn mule? That's usually how you get them pointed out. Yeah, now the hands go up. Yeah, all right. It's tough to submit to the will of God because it's almost never what I would like to do. And at the same time, I have never once in my life regretted submitting to the will of God. It's just the weird way that works. And my life gets messier, and my life gets maybe in some ways a little less safe than it was before, but parts of me are a lot more safe than they were before. In some ways, it, it calls me out of my predictability. It calls me into these surprises. I don't always know what's coming, but it's a life that I would not trade for anything. And so today, I want to end on this final thought. If we're going to be in relationship with Jesus, if we're going to take seriously these next five weeks now, and we're going to take seriously this time that we can spend in prayer and in reading the scripture, there's Bible reading plans if you want to follow along. We've got small group curriculum for your groups that you meet with. If you've got friends that you meet with, you want to pick it up and go with it, great. I don't know, whatever way you want to engage with this, I'm going to encourage you to take this series seriously because this is going to take us further and deeper down the path of relationship with Jesus. But let's be clear where that begins. Jesus says it begins with taking up a cross and following me. It doesn't end there. We don't work up to that. It starts with, do you want to be in charge or do you want to follow me? Do you want the life that you've lived or do you want something different? Because if you want comfort and security and predictability and, and control, this is the wrong relationship for you. But if you want a life that has purpose and has meaning, a life that builds you up, a life that gives vibrancy to your world, a life that calls you out of something so limiting and calls you into a great big world that God has built for us, then pick up your cross and follow me. When we follow the path of Christ, it's a path towards total submission to the will of God. Total submission. Your relationship with God will never feel complete until you get to total submission. Anything less is going to feel off. I try to pull myself back at times, and God always pulls me back in. I tried to get out. He pulled me back in. No, but I try to sometimes ease back, and then I realize, you know what? This isn't, mm -mm, this isn't enough. Total submission, and we're going to fail. We're going to fail at this in the next sermon series. There are going to be days this week that you're going to fail miserably at this, and we pick up and we start again. Ready to go with me on this journey. I hope you'll engage with the different materials that we've got for you uh, during this month. And, um, and it's a pleasure and joy to be your pastor, and it's a pleasure and joy to be having this conversation starting today and continuing for the next five weeks. Let's pray together. God, as we consider this morning of how comfortable we are in the kingdom of me, as we listen to your gentle voice calling us out into the kingdom of God. 
allow us to sacrifice some of our idols on the altar table this morning. Help us to sacrifice the idol of predictability, the idol of, of, of knowing what's coming around the corner all the time because we just can't stand surprises. God, call us away from this idol of living a tamed life, a routine life. And call us into something a little bit more wild and a little bit more like you. God, I, I ask that you lead us to sacrifice the idol of security. And what that really means is sacrificing our fears as well. That we learn to trust in you that we begin to realize that these material things we have in this world, our money, our houses, our stuff, none of it is going to guard our hearts or our minds or our souls like you will. And if we begin to release ourselves from those things, the way that you will usher us into the greatest sense of security we could possibly know. God, I ask that you would help us to sacrifice the idol of control that we would learn what it means to walk in the path of Jesus to pick up his cross at square one to adopt a spirit of humility and submission that says not my will but thy will be done God this is hard work be with us as we practice this this week. Go with us as we enter back into the world that you've built for us. Not so that we could live in fear, but so that we could live a life abundant and a life with you. All of this we pray in your son's holy and precious and resurrected name as we say, amen.